Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Of the Feast of Corpus Christi, and the epistle is taken from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, do not be surprised if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In this we have come to know his love, that he laid down his life for us, and we likewise ought to lay down our life for the brethren. He who has the goods of this world and sees his brother in need and closes his heart to him, how does the love of God abide in him? My dear children, let us not love in word, neither with the tongue, but in deed and in truth. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees this parable. A certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to tell those invited to come, for Everything is now ready. And they all with one accord began to excuse themselves. The first said to him, I have bought a farm, and I must go out and see it. I pray thee, hold me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them. I pray thee, hold me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And the servant returned and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house was angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, thy order has been carried out and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those who were invited shall taste of my supper. So far are the words of this day's Holy Gospel. In this we have come to know his love, that he laid down his life for us. And we likewise ought to lay down our life for the brethren. These are words taken from the epistle of today's Holy Mass in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, we're celebrating the octave of the Feast of Corpus Christi, celebrated last Thursday. Corpus Christi means body of Christ. And in this effort, we appreciate that gift that God has given to his church. Ours is the only religion that has it, the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, our Lord himself in the Blessed Sacrament. In this we have come to know his love, that he laid down his life for us. And more than that, he said that he was going to leave us, and yet he was coming back to us. And who had ever expected he would come back to us in such a form as under the appearance of bread and wine? The Blessed Sacrament. Christ in our midst, in our presence, not only to share with us his own divine life through baptism, but to nourish that life with the bread of heaven, 
for the very food of his own self, his own substance. How can we grasp that mystery? How can we appreciate that reality of Christ, God himself made man, coming to us in the most humble form and being within us? Reminding us of his words, the kingdom of God is within you. And therefore, the Blessed Trinity comes to dwell within us. He said, if any man love me, he will keep my commandments. And my Father will love him. We will come and make our abode with him. Now, who would dare to think that he would be more willing to be with us than in the Blessed Sacrament, to be with us as an abode among us? But then to come from the Blessed Sacrament in the tabernacle or at the altar within our very selves, we will make our abode with him. And each one of us becomes a living tabernacle of the living reality of God himself. Who would dare to think that if it had not been revealed to us by degrees? It was not first made known so simply and clearly, but it was made known. And here's where we have to read the scriptures and to dwell upon them, to meditate upon them, and to draw forth from them the fuller impact, the higher levels of understanding, the deeper degrees of appreciation of what God has given us in our redemption, in the plan of sanctifying us, redeeming us from that absence of grace called original sin, with the plenitude by increasing measure of grace growing through faith, hope, and charity to a sanctification in, with, and through Christ and unto God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost through this measure of the Blessed Sacrament in the mystical body of Christ. And so we celebrate this mystery, trying to meditate, to ponder upon this, to appreciate and to understand and realize our place in the relationship of the Blessed Sacrament. And if we love Christ, we will keep his commandments. And in that, we will have the abode of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost within us, in our very own souls, in our very own lives. But we are studying these commandments of God to see just how well we know, understand, and practice them. The Ten Commandments, the laws of the church. We are practically finished with the commandments of God, and we will take the laws of the church in preparation for the final section of the sacraments, when we will study the Mass in particular in this coming year. But to realize the details, the impact of the Ten Commandments means that we study them in the details that we've tried to take, not to the full extent, but at least sufficiently more than average to appreciate what God does ask of us. And so today we dwell again upon the seventh and tenth commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And considering then, what about those who must then return what was taken? What are the degrees of restitution, of reparation? And what are the excusing causes from this obligation? For it is an obligation without which there is no forgiveness of this sin. Now remember, God is like the sun that shines on all people. If there are clouds, if there's fog, uh, if we are indoors under an umbrella, if we are in an inner closet and can see nothing of the sunlight, 
God still shines. His goodness is there for all. We can go out in the full uh, spectrum of God's light and receive everything. Or we can cut down by degrees what he offers us all at the same time, but limited by our own obstacles. The greatest of which, of course, is mortal sin, like being in a deep, dark closet. No light whatsoever of God. Or in venial sin, to be shaded somewhat, but uh, receiving the light but not the fullness of it. Or to grow in the fullness of that grace with faith, hope, and charity, illuminating us with a realization, appreciation, such as we see in the lives of the saints, especially those saints dedicated to the Blessed Sacrament, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Julian Amard. Who are these saints that God favored with the same favor he gives us if we will only do what they did to appreciate, understand, and receive of this enlightenment and grace of God, this power of God. To love God, therefore, opens this scope of receiving this indwelling, uh, this presence of God, this appreciation, this understanding, to live in the midst of evil, in the midst of bad example, as examples of the light of God, the virtue of God, the faith, hope, and charity of God. And we have to keep his commandments. So we study then today reparation of damage to property, restitution, giving back what was taken or what was injured unjustly and uh, restored through our consequent regard of efforts made to repair the injustice. Are we obliged to repair damage unjustly done to the property of others? Now notice these certain words, and they have to be paid attention to, unjustly done. The answer is we are obliged to repair damage unjustly done to the property of others or to pay the amount of the damage as far as we are able. Two other things. To pay the amount of the damage. Not to replace the article necessarily, but to give the value of that article in quality um, in regards to our obligation. And, And then secondly, as far as we are able. So we have limitations. Sometimes the question comes up, well, I cannot repay or I cannot repair. What, am I free then if I cannot do it? The obligation remains, but the intention to do what you can is required. God looking to the interior of our heart, our intention, our mind. And then the obligation further, if we can, to fulfill it in in activity, in action. Now from the book of Exodus, the Old Testament... If any man hurt a field or a vineyard and put in his beast to feed upon that which is another man's, in other words, to put your cattle into another man's field to eat his alfalfa, he shall restore the best of whatsoever he hath in his own field or in his vineyard according to the estimation of the damage. In other words, he has to pay it back. If we have unknowingly, by purchase or gift, obtained possession of stolen property, we are bound to restore it to the rightful owner as soon as we learn the truth. Now, flea markets, sometimes things are offered at a reduced price uh, because they're stolen, and you may buy them without realizing they're stolen. If you do not know, you're not guilty. But as soon as you find out, or when you find out, then you are bound then to find the owner and restore it. Uh, The knowledge, therefore, is the deciding factor. Do I realize? Do I know? Am I suspicious? Do I inquire? 
what are my obligations? To have possession means that I have a right and legal uh, possession of this article. And if I find it has been stolen, then I must give it up. Now, that sometimes uh, brings a sense of bitterness, of anger that you've been taken because of um, the transaction. But look at it this way. If someone were to ask you for uh, some benefits, some help, financial or otherwise, you would in charity give that. There's no doubt if you can do so. You would give $5 to a person who needs money, who's hungry. Uh, if somebody steals it from you, you feel that it's against your will. But if you turn the other cheek, make that a donation, you will relieve yourself of bitterness, of anger, of sense of exploitation, and be at peace. So surrender to the owner what was stolen that you have possession of at the time and figure that it's my donation in charity and, and there's nothing more that I will worry about as far as being reimbursed by the man who sold it to me to begin with. If you can, that's fine and good. If not, keep your soul at peace. As I said last Sunday, uh, consider that if you buy something at a regular price, it's a bargain if you don't have to, rep if you don't have to replace it or repair it. But be ready to spend twice the amount. And if you do, then it's normal. If you don't have to, then consider it to your benefit. And that way you'll have a sort of a sense of reality, a sense of um, propriety that will cover cases that come up short. Give more than you receive and things will balance out because there's a friction in life. There's a sort of a deterioration in our transactions and words and thoughts and actions that demand that we in charity give a little bit more than we expect to receive from others. And in so doing, we oil the machinery of life with charity. And it runs rather smoothly in spite of the mechanics that can break down. We are just possessors only as long as we do not know the goods were stolen. As soon as we become aware of the fact, we must give up the property. Now from the book of Proverbs it says, the beginning of a good way is to do justice. And this is more acceptable with God than to offer sacrifices. To be just is even better than giving sacrifice to God. Better is a little with justice than great re revenues with iniquity. So to have a little bit with honor is better than to have a whole lot with dishonor. And this is what makes us rich. This is what makes us peaceful. This is what gives us power. And sometimes poor people are richer than rich people who gain wealth by stealth or fraud or graft or dishonesty in any form. And that is what makes us sleep well at night and gives us peace through the day. If one refuses to restore stolen property or repair the damage he has unjustly done to the property of others, he cannot be forgiven. This is severe. And we cannot lightly wave that away. Oh, it's only a small thing where everybody does it. You must do reparation. You must restore what was taken. Otherwise, your sin cannot be forgiven. We're going to talk about cases when it's difficult for you to restore, or impossible perhaps. 
But if you refuse to, then even the priest gives you absolution, your sin is not forgiven because it's between you and God. And God sees the interior of our hearts, the justice or the injustice thereof. And if we refuse to be just, then God cannot give us justification. He cannot forgive if we don't forgive. Remember the words, if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart, then neither will God forgive you. So it's not just from your words, not just from a sense of force. Of course, if you do it with faith, even though it's difficult, sentimentally or emotionally, you find it hard to do, but you do it, then you've done it from your heart because you have chosen to do it. Then God will forgive you too. But you see, you are the measure, not the priest, not the church, but you yourself have the responsibility of the good intention that earns from God directly his blessing and grace. So the church is a means, an instrument. As I say often, this is not a resort. This is a hospital. You come here for repairing the damage of daily life. You go back healed and restored and strengthened to do battle with the elements of the world, the flesh, and the devil successfully. We arm you. We're a dispensary. But you live life where it is, where you are. And it's not the holiness you have here, but the holiness you have elsewhere as well. And God sees that and rewards you on the spot for what you do for him. And only you and he knows what that is. So to the degree you see, to that degree can you act. Pray that your knowledge and your grace will increase so that you can do better as you live life with virtue, faith, hope, and charity, and grace strengthening you on the way. One who refuses to restore stolen property or repair the damage will not obtain pardon from God nor absolution from the priest. Even if, he, even if he confesses his sin over and over again. We're going to study the sacraments next year, the sacrament of confession particularly with the Mass, and we're going to find the conditions necessary for forgiveness. If you're not sorry, then you cannot be forgiven. There are four elements for forgiveness of sins. Sorrow for the sin, confession of the sin, receiving the penance for the sin to be fulfilled, and then on the part of the priest, the fourth element is absolution. Now, if the priest absolves you, but you're not sorry, then the absolution is invalid. Your sin is not forgiven. So you see, you must be truly sincere. And any Protestant who accuses a Catholic for uh, having an easy way with sin because you can always go to confession does not understand the nature of confession. You cannot fool God. You might fool the priest, but you cannot fool God. And so you must then fulfill the requirements for forgiveness by restoring or repairing the damage to the degree that you can. As long as one does not sincerely intend to make reparation, his sin will not be remitted. Even though he entreat divine pardon with weeping or seek to appease divine justice by fasts and penances, it was not till Zacchaeus declared his determination to make restitution that our Lord called him a son of Abraham. Remember Zacchaeus, the little man who climbed a tree, and our Lord says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house for supper tonight. And in the evening, Zacchaeus said, Lord, if I have defrauded anyone, I'll pay back four times. And our Lord said, Zacchaeus, salvation has come this day to your house. It was when he made his mind up to restore that he received the blessing of Christ. 
justice requires reparation of the evil we do. It requires reparation. It's not a matter of option. You must. Injustice, repair evil done insofar as we have ability to make that reparation. Now, our limitations are such that maybe we cannot do it at this time. We cannot give back because it's no longer on our possession or we have spent the money and it's uh, not available. What can we do? I must have the intention to do so. A sincere intention. Not just to say, well, I can't do it, therefore if I could, I would, but I don't have it so I can't, therefore I'm going to forget it. No, it has an obligation that produces, but limited by your own condition after the fact. Without restitution or reparation, there is no forgiveness or the true, effective intention to restore. Now, St. Alphonsus relates the story of a rich man who had an ulcer in the arm and was near death. The priest urged him to restore the property he had unjustly acquired, but the man refused, saying that if he did so, his three sons would be left penniless. The priest then said he knew of a cure for the rich man's disease. A living person must allow his hand to be burned and while still raw be applied to the ulcer. Eager to get well, the rich man had his three sons called, but not one of them was willing to have his hand burned. The priest then said, see, not one of your sons will burn a hand for you, yet you are willing to burn in hellfire for all eternity, only to leave them your wealth. The rich man's eyes were opened, and he consented to make restitution. Now, it's a clever way to bring a man to realization, but it's something that we should all then learn from as well. A person who has accidentally damaged the property of another, so it's not unjust, it's not deliberate, it was an accident. He has accidentally damaged the property of another through no fault of his own, is not obliged to repair the damage, unless required to do so by civil law. So if you uh, unintentionally damage somebody's property accidentally, it's an act of God, you might say. But if the man sues you or brings you to court and the judge declares against you, then you must honor the decision of the judge and repair to the degree that civil law requires. But morally before God, you have no obligation. One of those strange questions between morality and uh, justice or legality. Employees are bound to take reasonable care of the property of employers. You say, well, there's so much stuff here, we can just go ahead and use it, uh, take it home. Um, they'll never miss it. Well, that is not just. We must give the kind of care for the employer's property as you would of your own property. That's reason guided by faith. That's a sense of propriety that is included in reason. So don't waste time. Don't abuse property. Don't take things that don't belong to you, but treat them as if they were your own or others working for you that you would expect of them to do in like terms. Are we obliged to, re to restore to the owner stolen goods or their value? We are obliged to restore to the owner stolen goods or their value whenever we are able. Again, there's a limitation. 
if you don't have the ability here and now, what comes? Now, from the book of Exodus, we have these words. If any man steal an ox or a sheep and kill or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for one ox and four sheep for one sheep. Well, now this is Mideastern mentality. Remember that they are going to stop the evil by the punishment given for that evil done. And this is in the book of, Ex uh, of Exodus, so it's in the Old Testament among the Jews. If the rightful owner is dead, the property must then be restored to his heirs, those who inherit his property. What would the man want to have given to his children if it had not been stolen? That's what must be then restored to the heirs since you can't give it to the dead man. If there are no heirs, there's nobody to inherit his property, then the stolen property must be given to the poor or for some other charitable purpose. In other words, you cannot enrich yourself from an unjust act. It must leave your possession. If it can't be given back to the rightful owners, then to the poor or some charitable cause. If the thief cannot restore all he has stolen, he must restore all he can. Whatever he does have, he should return. Well, I've only got 50% left, so give that return, and then the obligation for the remainder in due time. If he has used what has been stolen, he must repair the damage done by restoring the equivalent. If he cannot restore anything, he must at least pray for the person he has wronged. Now, not just say words, but truly pray. And this goes for those with whom sins have been committed to pray for them if you cannot undo the evil of the damage done through the sins. Pray for those whom you have wronged or injured in any way, and at least that much can be given as a benefit for those who suffered at your hand. Now, if poverty or some other circumstance prevent the thief from making restitution immediately, he must resolve to do so as soon as possible and must make an effort to fulfill his resolutions. Now, it doesn't mean a half-hearted um, commitment. Oh, I'll get around to it, or when I can, I will. And when the time comes, he postpones it further. No, it must be effective. You must have a concrete plan by setting aside so much, even though you have other obligations, to put a little bit aside that you can and accumulate until you can restore by degrees the amount owed. Restitution must be, uh, may be made, may be made secretly. In other words, you don't have to tell a person, I stole this from you and I'm returning it. But it can be restored secretly in a roundabout way without letting the owner know that restitution is being made. The fact is that it must be returned somehow. And it's called occult compensation to give back in a secret way what was taken or damaged. For instance, a money order may be sent with a fictitious name, or the priest who is pledged to secrecy may be entrusted with the property to be restored. There's another way that's accepted, it's called conscience money. Just send it back with a note, this is conscience money, and those who are in the business will understand it's being restored as restitution from some, ano some anonymous source that no further questions or investigation will be made.
If we find an article of value, we must strive to discover the owner in order to restore the article, an object of value, not just a trivial thing, pencil, but um, an expensive watch, purse, wallet. Uh, he must strive to discover the owner, look at the uh, contents for identification, look at the circumstances, who was around, who may know what happened, who was here, that uh, we could find the rightful owner. This must be done. The more valuable, the greater the obligation to discover the owner and restore it to him. If after all our earnest efforts, earnest efforts, again, underlying that, we fail to find the rightful owner, then we may keep it. So you can't say, well, I found this, I'm not going to let anybody know. No, you must make a reasonable effort, if it's valuable, to find the owner. And if you cannot, and he must prove that he uh, does own that article, then it's yours to keep. But if you don't, then you haven't made an honest effort. A mason engaged in repairing the stone wall of a building found a metal box can, hidden in a cavity in the wall. He broke open the box and found that it contained jewels of all descriptions. He at once concealed the box and took it home without telling anyone what he had found. A few days afterwards, wishing to realize some money on the jewels, he took out several from the box and offered them to a jeweler for sale. The jeweler immediately had him arrested. The jewels he had offered were recognized as having belonged to a rich merchant who had been robbed and murdered a month before. The mason was unable to prove that he had merely found the box of jewels. He was tried and imprisoned for life for the murder of the merchant. Well, that a bizarre uh, case that backfired on the person who thought he was going to make some money and he ended up for life in jail. What does the tenth commandment forbid? And here's where we have to be honest in our own hearts because it doesn't mean that you've done anything physically to damage or steal but that you had it in your mind and heart to do so. The Tenth Commandment forbids all desire to take or keep unjustly what belongs to others. And also, notice this, forbids envy at their success. Envy, jealousy, hatred, anger. Uh, to see that is a threat to your well-being, what somebody has. Um, God gives his gifts to each one differently. And we should not envy these gifts. Because somebody gets a good mark in school, somebody gets a better position in business, because of his abilities, we should honor that gift God has given to him and pray that he will, as a good steward, use that gift well in his work. We're under God. We're not gods and we're not judges. We're servants. We are fellow servants. And we help one another with the gifts God gives us. But if somebody has envy, in his heart because somebody is better off or is able to do better than others, than yourself, uh, that would be against the Tenth Commandment, to covet his abilities. Now we are permitted to desire the property of others only when we propose to obtain it by a legitimate means, such as by purchase or exchange. Now if somebody has a valuable antique and you want it, but you're willing to pay for it, Wanting it is not a sin, but to desire it for its own sake unjustly 
to want to steal it or take it somehow by fraud would be a sin against the Tenth Commandment. For covetousness is the root of all evils. Covetousness. The desire for whatever somebody has, somebody else has, is the root of all evils. Well, there are other evils too of a spiritual kind. This is of the material kind. Materialism means to want to possess the things of this earth. Pride deals with matters of the mind. And you might say sensuality deals with material things that affect our senses. Pride deals with things of the mind, mental things, spiritual things that deal with the soul. But here it says in the first letter to Timothy, St. Paul says, For covetousness is the root of all evils, and some in their eagerness to get rich have strayed from the faith and have involved themselves in many troubles. The world, the flesh, and the devil are three enemies. The world, what it possesses, the objectives, idolatry, to want things for their own sake. This is against the first commandment but it does affect us in the other commandments as well. So this is the 10th commandment. Second thing, among the guilty, those guilty of violating the 10th commandment are first, those who desire to resolve or who desire or resolve to steal or cause loss to others, even if the resolution is not carried out. I'm going to uh, burn my neighbor's business down so I'll eliminate, his, uh, eliminate him as a competitor. But he's got surveillance cameras and I'm afraid to do so, but I would if I could. That is a sin against the Tenth Commandment. Children who wish for the death of their parents in order to obtain their property. We've had some cases recently of two brothers who killed their parents to get the inheritance while they're young. Uh, that would be a sin also against the Tenth Commandment, to desire what belongs to their parents. Those also who wish for war, epidemics, storms, fire, legal troubles, social outbreaks, or other calamities in order to profit from the resulting high prices of their products. Imagine, to desire evil so that you can benefit from it. It would be a sin. Finally, those who deny the right of private property such as socialists or communists. The right to private property. Where do you get your right to own anything? The fact you work for it. That gives you title to possess this thing God has created for your own possession and use. But if somebody has a prior claim to it because of extreme necessity, he's going to die if he doesn't have it, then he has a right to that, to the degree necessary for the amount of time so that you share with him what you possess and not out of charity but out of justice because he needs it. But communism and socialism says you have no right to private property at all no matter what you do because it all belongs to the state. And the state will give you what it sees necessary and it will take from you what it demands uh, in return and so you lose that freedom of choice that is our dignity as children of God under God to have the freedom to do well the things of God by keeping his commandments and the demands. Therefore, that we, with reason guided by faith, live under these commandments of God and things will run smoothly. But without faith, hope, or charity, then the state will step in and force 
this big brother. You will force goodness through tyranny, which is a good end with a bad means to getting to that end, to take away your freedom and to enslave you. And so we want the freedom, but we want the responsibility that goes with the freedom to produce as fellow servants from the things of God for the welfare of each other in society. Now, communism is an extreme form of socialism, a form of political economic system in which ownership of all property is vested in civil society, which would then control both production and distribution. It has repeatedly been condemned in papal encyclicals, notably those of Pope Leo XIII and Pope Pius XI. Now, these encyclical letters are written by popes in times of serious crisis to answer problems of the contemporary social systems that are vying, uh, and the popes will write a letter to the bishops or to those concerned about the solution of these problems from a Catholic point of view. We should know those encyclicals. Now, you don't have time to read them. You don't have access to them sometimes. But I do recommend that you pay attention that there are letters written by popes on pertinent uh, questions of the time and of history, really, that should inform us from a Catholic mentality how to solve these prime, uh, problems. Now, there are encyclicals, for example, on Christian marriage. We're just about ready to complete that next, uh, next week when we have our instruction class for the adults. Uh, there's instruction or encyclicals on uh, Christian education of youth from a Catholic point of view. Everybody should know these, but you will then be guided by the instructions from the pulpit or from literature, the short uh, term or synopses of these uh, encyclicals so that you will get the ideas behind them and apply them in your own lives. But we will study uh, social justice next week and uh, capital and labor which may not affect some of you, young people and wise perhaps, but uh, those laboring will want to know what are the principles involved and the encyclicals have given us the principles to apply if we know and have the opportunity to be in charge of uh, applying them in society or in our own work. But what we want to understand is all of this is in the context of loving God. If you love me, keep my commandments. These are the commandments, these are the details of the commandments and in this we will earn that presence of God. He who loves me, my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. So this is um, the context then of what St. John is talking about in the epistle. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. It doesn't want to conform to your Catholic faith. It conforms to its own secular state religion of tyranny, really. Uh, and it will hate the freedom that you have by taking it away if it can't. We know, that we, have, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the bread. Now it's in this love that we have for God that we love each other, and in that love God will settle and bring peace and bring productivity from the work that we do with faith, hope, and charity, with reason guided by this faith, and the love that makes the machinery of life that is prone to breaking down more capable of efficiency. We need to lubricate the machinery of life, which comes up short if we give more generously, more lovingly, in the true sense of love. Not emotional, not sentimental, 
but with a sense of justice guiding our actions to give more than we receive. And in that exchange, everybody benefits and receives more than they give. So let us pay attention then to these commandments, their details, and apply them in our lives, and we will have the possession of God as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.